Welcome to another intriguing episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. Hello everyone, I'm Steve Frankel, camera operator, currently working on Scandal. And it's ironic how far people can get with incredibly good people skills, whether their talents with them or not. The people skills is what will build your relationships that will build your work. Monetizing Your Creativity asks the question, what does it take to earn a living with your creative talents? The biggest advice I could give there is that you're not going to get anywhere if you don't ask. Your career path is a choice that you have to make. It may be a struggle, and it was a struggle for me to get to, get to here. There's, there's none of this that's easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. We focus on the success principles common to all disciplines by interviewing producers, directors, writers, actors, cinematographers, music composers, animators, designers, and much, much more. Learn how to create your own path to success. Let's roll. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Monetizing Your Creativity. I'm your host, Marvin Polis, and not joining us this time is our co-host, Fred Keating, because he's in Toronto working on a project, but that's okay because I'm in Banff, Canada, and I'm at the Story Summit at the incredible Banff Centre, and with me actually is... Hello everyone, I'm Steve Frankel, camera operator, currently working on Scandal as the A camera and Steadicam operator. Fantastic. So we have somebody here with us today who really knows his way around uh, the production community. In fact, Steve, you were telling me that uh, mentoring young people is really something that you have a passion for. Tell me about this. Well, a lot of people throughout my career, I mean, I'm going on 30 years now in the business. And throughout my career, I've had an e enormous amount of people that have helped me with either advice or teaching techniques and, and such business-related stuff. I've been self-employed since 1994. So I just always try to pay it forward, give it back to the kids. Great. So it's fantastic that you're doing that and uh, participating in this interview with us. Now, you mentioned that uh, you're currently working on Scandal. You've also worked on Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, I did four, the first four seasons of Sons of Anarchy. I moved to L.A. I'm originally from Kansas City. I moved to L.A. I did the first 18 years of my career based there. I never really wanted to move to L.A., but it just kind of sort of happened and uh, lived in L.A. from 2008 until last summer. And uh, we just recently moved back to Missouri. I live in the Ozarks now, but work in L.A. often. Now, when you were starting your career, what were you hearing from family and friends? Well, starting my career, I was more of an artist. Um, I had a small scholarship to attend the Kansas City Art Institute. And uh, that first year when the scholarship was over, I couldn't really afford to stay there. And I went to a junior college for a while and then just kind of started working in the in the business. So ironically, I did not finish college. I just worked and worked and worked and, and found found my way and continued down the path of uh, the the hard knocks, I guess you would call it. And I've been very blessed and very lucky along the way. Okay, so you started out as an artist. And what kind of artist did you start out as? And, and how did you make that transition into camera operating? Well, it was uh, actually one of my earliest mentors, Martin Brock, um, my high school art teacher. And he, I've learned, you know, drawing, painting, sculpting from him, and then also still photography. And that's when it really took off, probably my sophomore, junior year of high school when I got into still photography. And he, he was a good mentor. He, he taught me to believe in myself and, you know, said, you've got real talent here. You know, you really understand composition and framing and, and you should consider running with this. And, I, you know, you kind of shrug your shoulders as a kid and you don't really know. And then, as ironic as it sounds, it was ironically the movie Top Gun 
came out in what 1985, and Jeffrey Kimball shot that, and I was just blown away by by the work there. And and of all the weird movies to to be motivated by, that was one that just really I was like, oh, that's just too cool. That whole opening sequence. So that was one of the movies that t- taught me took me down the path of cinematography. And then how did you break into cinematography? Well, that's interesting because in Kansas City, you don't just go out and become a cinematographer. Um, there was really only one guy there shooting at the time, Joe Mandacino, who's also a mentor of mine. I learned a tremendous amount of, of filmmaking from him. I worked for the public TV station, kind of a, a mag- first originally a studio lighting technician and studio camera operator when I was about 20 years old, and then became a magazine uh, format videographer for Kansas City Illustrated and some of the shows there. Kind of put together a demo reel and then got into shooting television news for the NBC station. So I was a a TV news photojournalist for about three years and realized that as much as I did like shooting news, that wasn't my passion. I was really wanting to get into lighting and uh, kind of worked my way into the promotion department and shot the commercials promoting the news and eventually uh, went to work for one of the bigger production companies in town, a fellow named Greg Lesko, also a mentor of mine. And uh, he had a company with a big studio uh, called RSVP Video Productions. And we, we went to work there and I, you know, kind of did a lot of things there from everything from sound, grip, lighting, and eventually became kind of their main cameraman there. I did that for a couple of years and then started my own company in 94. Interesting path. Now, you're working on some very big, very notable projects now in Hollywood. How did you get the attention of people in L.A.? I built a demo reel. Well, I I guess I should back up. I also shot documentaries at the time. Variety of, of work from documentaries to commercials to corporate production and all of that compiled into various demo reels that we would we would do and eventually became i guess a prominent director of photography there in the Midwest i was busy i was one of the guys that was working a lot there kind of came a point where i was doing the same projects and i realized i had worked with uh, a couple of LA based and a couple of New York based directors of photography that came in town and i camera operated for them and they did things very different very big their lighting techniques were different, and I thought, oh, man, I have a lot to learn. So I took a step backwards in 2004 after shooting as a DP for many, many years, and I said, I'm going to become a full-time camera operator, spend the next 10 years learning from some of the best in the business. So I went to Philadelphia, and I got trained to do Steadicam by Garrett Brown in the, in the company there and uh, became a Steadicam operator. I, I had always dabbled in Steadicam. I was efficient at it, but not great at it. But for our town, I was I was pretty good. And I would wear it two or three times a year for various projects. And in 2004, I, I became a full-time operator. I stopped working as a director of photography and almost overnight started working on feature films. One of the first few I'd worked on were right there in Kansas City with filmmakers that were doing uh, some nice projects. And Dana Altman up in Nebraska worked a few with him. That developed a whole new line of demo reels. And out of the blue, uh, it was about 2006, I got a call from Phil Parmet, uh, one of Garrett's friends, who's a director of photography, and he asked me if, he said, I got your number from Garrett Brown. I'd like to know if you'd want to come to New Mexico and work on this movie with me. So he told me about it. It was a, a science fiction Western thriller. They were shooting on 35 millimeter, and I said, absolutely. So I went down to New Mexico and worked on this movie, and the work from that, it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And about 2006, seven, I talked to my wife and I said, you know, 
we really ought to consider moving to LA. She goes, yeah, you're out, you know, I was on the road a lot. So I wanted to be home, see the kids and see the family. So we took a trip out and we looked around LA and we decided to make the move in 2008. And I've been working nonstop in LA ever since. Steve, you made the decision to learn from the very best. Now, how does somebody find their mentors? A mentor to me is someone that's not only good at what they do, but they're someone that cares about you learning. They're some of the best in the business, but they have a personality of an onion. And they're not very nice people sometimes. I was fortunate in that I picked some of the people later to try to mentor was like Larry McConkie. He worked on Goodfellas and all the great Scorsese films and still works with Martin today. And uh, Larry, I sent Larry an email asking him a few questions about an IMAX project that I may, may have coming up. And he sent me back about an eight paragraph email detailing how to handle it. What a nice, nice man. Eventually I end up going to his house and being trained for three days uh, by him, which also upped my Steadicam quality by about 100%. He's just so good and so good to learn from. But, you know, Garrett Brown, very giving. Larry McConkie, very giving. So picking your mentors is tough. That's a tough question. I don't know how. I think you just have to kind of research people. You know, if, if you want to be a cinematographer like Chivo, maybe you, you, you know, research him and try to find a way to get in touch with him. And, you know, I know I've had people call and contact me. Uh, various students have contacted me because, you know, they know I'm accessible through my website and whatnot. They can get my information. And I always go have lunch with them and talk and whatnot whenever I can. I think it's just research. Research people. You know, sometimes you can find out if they're nice and they're going to be willing to help. I didn't know about Larry if he was going to help, but he certainly did. We became very good friends. I guess part of what I hear you saying is that for our younger listeners who are just starting their careers, don't be afraid to reach out. There are some people, you've characterized them as onions, and they're, they're going to blow you off, and some sure. of them politely blow you off, and some of them, they're, they're going to do it rudely. But there are people like you and many others like you and your mentors who actually want to help. They recognize that there were people at the beginning of their careers, in your career, that helped you out. You remember those people who helped you out. Now, you want to pay it back. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's very, very true. So yeah, the, the biggest advice I could give there is that you're not going to get anywhere if you don't ask. You, it's, your career path is a choice that you have to make. It may be a struggle. And it was a struggle for me to get to, get to here. There's, there's none of this that's easy. If it was easy, everybody would do it. It's not easy. Filmmaking is a very hard, tough business. You know, it, it's any, any, in the entertainment business in general is not easy but it's extremely rewarding. It would be wrong to have the desire to be in this business and not try, you know? So just, just give it your best effort. Now you mentioned those onions and I kind of went back and reinforced that. One of the things that really seems to be a key to ultimate long-term success, not only the, the technical skills and the creative skills, is be a nice person so that people want to work with you because this is really a team sport. Tell us about that. Well, that's a very good point. Though for those of you that want to be a camera operator, and, and the camera operator is very different than a director of photography. To be a camera operator, you almost need a degree in psychology because your job is not just to pan and tilt and move the camera. It is you are the liaison between the director, between the director of photography and the actors and the camera assistant and the dolly grip 
and everybody else around you, the set, set, on set dresser, you're the one that really runs the set. So it's not just about panning and tilting. It's so much more. And I would emphasize that, that the personality that you are is really the driving force behind what happens from shot to shot as the day goes on. So you have to get along with people. You have to be a people person. That is just paramount for the job of the camera operator. You're really setting the tone then. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, if I come in and have a bad day, everybody around me is going to have a bad day. So I should always come in with a very positive attitude and try when, you know, when you're on a grind of a show for nine months like Scandal, there are days when people come in and they're just in bad moods. And you try to crack a joke and get everybody smiling and laughing and having fun. Good work comes from having fun. If people aren't having fun, it shows in the work. You know, we're fortunate that we have Carrie Washington on our show. For her to be number one on the call, she, she comes in with such a great attitude every day. And she brings the rest of the cast up, and then the whole crew just rallies around this, this big ball of fun, and we just have a good time. Great thoughts. Now, how intuitive is your approach, and how analytical is it? The intuitive part of what I do is instinctive, and that comes from experience. I, I do not believe a person coming out of college today can jump on a show like Scandal and be efficient. And I mean that with no disrespect. It is a fact. It takes years and time, time dealing with people and being in situations to understand how to make the the set, you know, go smoothly. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I'm just saying it takes time and experience to get there. And then there's the analytical side to be able to really read situations and read people, analyze what you're seeing, analyze what you're observing, and then do the right thing. There are certain situations where you might, me as an operator, might want another take to improve, but we have an 11-page day. So, and I can read that an actor has really reached their limit of their performance, their peak, their, it's an emotional scene, they're not going to get any better, yet I might have had a little bit of a framing issue or something. You have to learn to let go, because in the big, big picture of how this whole thing's going to be edited, it's going to be okay, especially our show with the way they edit it. There's usually two other cameras, certainly one, getting some angle and there's a a third angle often on our show we run three cameras quite a bit so I have to not be so self-indulged in what I just did and look at the big picture it's that team sport thing again scandal in particular is an is an enormous amount of teamwork our dolly grips uh, Rick Maxey's the a dolly grip and and, uh, Eugene Rivera is the b dolly grip they are really the operators on our show we can only shoot what they offer us up because our camera is constantly moving. So if they were to put us in a bad situation, we wouldn't be able to recover from it. And fortunately, they're very good visually. They understand exactly what we need all the time. Our focus pullers are constantly put at risk, not knowing exactly where we're going to pan the camera or zoom in or what we're going to do. And they just are very on their game all the time. They're very talented professionals on that show. It's, It's pretty impressive intuition again. I mean, you're reading each other's minds, you're reading each other's body language, you're reading each other's uh, facial expressions as you're working together. All exactly true. And we've had such a good group effort. Oliver Bolkelberg, our main director of photography, has put together a team that he's managed to keep together for almost the entire run of the show so far. We've had just a few faces change from season to season on the entire crew 
camera crew's been pretty intact. Quite a, a pat on his back for putting together a group of people that not only are great at what they do, but enjoy working together. Fantastic. Now, I want to return to a thought that you had talked about a few minutes ago, and that was this idea of being self-employed, being a freelancer. This is really an industry where you're not going to graduate from film school and go and work for a studio, maybe even not even for a small production company, and work in what people would consider to be a traditional job where you work nine to five and you collect a paycheck every week or every month. This is something very different. Tell us about this. Well, that's a great, great thing to talk about. Uh, Being self-employed since 94, I've had a lot of peaks and valleys. There is no consistent paycheck, even though, of course, I've been on Scandal for four seasons, so it's been like a full-time job. But there's days we work you know, three days a week here and there through holidays, so you don't get full paychecks. When we're off, we're not working. We don't get paid. So as a freelancer, my biggest advice is to save money. Save your money for the rainy days. That's that's just a tough, tough call. You know, being self-employed, if you like going to a different place to work all the time and being self-employed, which I do, you have to tolerate the that sort of a paycheck cycle that comes and goes. You know, where you may work for three months straight and then you may go three months without work. And you've got to make that three months of work last that three months of not working. So uh, save your money. Be uh, very economical. Uh, live within your means. Well, look, I just left Los Angeles and moved back to the Ozarks. So part of that is an, is an efficient lifestyle that, you know, plan, I can plan ahead for my retirement in, you know, 10 or 15 years when it's time. So living within your means is a very smart thing. Now, you mentioned that you have moved back to the Ozarks, and that's not a place where there's a whole lot of film production going on. This suggests to me that you have very strong relationships back in Los Angeles, and you're going to get the call despite the fact that you don't live in Los Angeles anymore. Well, just like when I took the leap of faith to move out there, I'm taking the leap of faith that people will continue to hire me. It's uh, it's an interesting business, and when you do something like this, people kind of turn their head sideways, and they're like, really? I'm like, yeah, I, I, it's where we want to live as a family, and it's good. And uh, it's, it's interesting. But yeah, there is commercial work in both Kansas City and St. Louis, and I will have no trouble, I don't think, finding commercial work. But to stay in the drama world, whether that's features and television, I, I have faith. I'm, I'm not too worried. But, but yeah, there's always a chance that it, the door will close. <laughs> and that's a risk that, you know, you take when you do something like that. But it is a relationship business, isn't it? It's where, you know, people want to work with you because they know you and they trust you. Absolutely. And that is the other advice I give to students all the time is it is everything about who you know. I know some people that aren't very good at what they do, yet they're at the top of the game. And I know others that are excellent at what they do, but don't have the relationships, so they're not quite there. And it's ironic how far people can get with incredibly good people skills, whether their talents with them or not. The people skills is what will build your relationships that will build your work environment. That's so important. I think just being nice in general is smart. Uh, If you can look somebody in the eye, I know so many people that can't do that. And we call them carpet inspectors, where they come in and they instantly look to the ground and the director is trying to explain a shot to you, yet you're not staring them in the eye and listening. And, you know, I have a bit of ADD or ADHD, whatever you want to call it, never really diagnosed, but I can tell I have a, a 
it's very hard for me to focus. And I really have, my whole career, I've had to concentrate. When the director or the DP comes up, I stop everything and I pay attention to what they're saying, you know, because it's, it's my job to deliver what they want. And, and it, that's, you know, you, you just, good people skills in general, you know. And oftentimes on a set, especially a set that shoots 11, 10, 9 to 11 pages a day like we often do, sometimes we have six or seven page days, but everyone is so busy doing their job that when that director or DP comes over to talk, they don't hear what's being said. So as the camera operator, I'm not doing their work, so I'm listening to what he's saying or she's saying. They go off, and I turn around and say, did you guys get that? No, what did they say? So then you have to repeat everything. And then that, that can be frustrating, but again, as a people person, you have to accept the fact that everybody was busy, and you just have to repeat everything. And sometimes it's inefficient, sometimes it's efficient. But the people skills is just that. You just, just got to get along with people. You know, be a happy personality, and you'll do well in life in general. Okay, Steve, so let's say that I'm 20-something years old, and I'm just starting out in my career. What would be the thing or things that I should be focusing on? Story is everything. Technology is awesome, but the story is what's more awesome. You can take an Alexa camera and shoot a really bad story, and the cinematography might look amazing, but if it's a bad story, nobody's going to watch it. You can take an iPhone and shoot an amazing story, and everybody will watch it. Story should drive everything. The technology is a big deal, but story is paramount. Story should be first. The cameras are, they're just a tool to tell the story. It's really the story. You know, how you put that camera, no matter what the price of it is, how you light the story, no matter what camera it is, those are the things that are helping tell the story visually. It's really about how to use that camera, how to use that technology to embellish the story. You know, one of the questions that I like to ask uh, some of our guests, Steve, is, is there something in your career that you would like to have as a do-over? But I'm going to ask this question a different way in your case. I'm going to ask you, is there something that happened in your career that was really pivotal that you think really was a key to your success? And it's something that you just want to scream from the mountaintops that, you know, to people is like, do this or look at things from this point of view. What is that really important trigger that you'd like to tell people about? Interesting. Well, there's two things. The first thing I would like to do over is finish my college and get my degree. That's a very big thing that's been a, a chip on my shoulder for years I wish I had done. And, and the reason I say that is because I wasn't able to make as much money as some of the other guys because I didn't have that degree in the early part of my career as a news cameraman. But the other part, I would say taking that step backwards to become a steady cam operator was probably the overnight change. It was a good choice and a good decision. Okay, so you're saying don't be afraid to take one step back in order to help you take one or two steps forward. Exactly. These are amazing thoughts. Thank you so much for this very inspiring conversation today, Steve. All the best in your work. Well, thank you guys. It was a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to Monetizing Your Creativity. Be sure to join us next time by subscribing to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave a review. It helps us with our ratings. You can also visit monetizingyourcreativity.com for more information about the show. And hey, be sure to tell your friends who want to understand how to monetize their creativity.